Hello, everyone. Welcome to Real Conversations, a space where we discuss the important issues around the country, a space where we tackle the toughest issues that affect the African-American community. My name is Anthony Ellis. I'm the educator, advocate, and I want to introduce my co-host, my advocate sister, Miss Cassandra Thompson. How are you tonight? Good, how are you? Um, I'm doing great, I'm doing great, I'm doing excellent. Um, tonight, we have two special guests that will be joining us in our conversation. We have Miss Yolanda Melville and Miss Ava Johnson. How is everyone doing? Fine, thanks. Well. Fine. Glad to be here. Oh, great, great, great. Yes. So before we get into this evening's topic, we want to thank everyone who has listened to our first video podcast where we talked about Christianity and social justice with our special guest, Dr. Colleen Batchelor. We are still receiving positive feedback from friends, family, coworkers, other colleagues. If you haven't had an opportunity yet, you can go to YouTube and search Real Conversations Episode 1, or you can either email me or Cassandra at the addresses that's listed below on the screen. Tonight's topic is very important because it affects every citizen, white, black, brown, gay, straight, women, male, etc., living in the United States. It also determines which direction this country will be heading for the next four years. In about 35 days on November 3rd, we will head to the voting booths to decide our next president and vice president of the United States. Former Vice President Joe Biden, Sen Senator Kamala Harris is the Democrat nominee and Donald Trump, Robert Pence is the Republican nominee and the incumbent. It will be one of the most important elections in our lifetime. If you're a person who is still decided confused about the entire election process, or you have been turned off because you don't think that your vote matters, then this episode is for you. Tonight's topic is gonna be called Election 101, What's on the Ballot? Or I like to say, vote as your life dependent on it. Tonight, we have two special guests that's gonna help us guide our conversation. Um, I'm just gonna give a little introduction of our first guest, um, Yolanda and Melville. She is an attorney at Cooper Levingston at Atlantic City, New Jersey's office. She serves as general counsel to numerous business entities and represents clients throughout every stage of the litigation process and both state and federal courts, including the United States Supreme Court. She also serves as chair of firm's diversity community. She also serves as appellate law clerk for the Honorable Susan F. Maven in the New Jersey Judiciary. Yolanda will later work in the Berman Center for Justice in New York City, assisting in the organization's efforts following Shelby Counter versus Holder, which is a landmark Supreme Court decision 
addressing the constitutionality of two key provisions of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Um, she has also both served as a moderator and nationally recognized speaker on various topics such as voting rights, housing, intergenerational leadership, and worked with today's greatest civil rights leaders throughout the country. I know her very, very well because both of us were on NextGen together. We were both at the cohort at the same time. Um, Our uh, second guest that we have tonight is Ms. Ava Johnson. A lifelong resident of Monmouth County, Ava Johnson is a graduate of Rutgers University with her, her undergraduate degree in American history and English. In addition, she received her master's degree in library science. She has been involved in the democratic policy politics and has worked on many local, state, and national campaigns since the age of 10. Ms. Johnson currently serves as the chairperson of the Monmouth County Democrats Black American Caucus. Also, she is the president of the Neptune Democratic and also Democratic Club. And also she is a member of the Neptune Township District 12 representative with the Monmouth County Democratic Party, as well as a Monmouth County delegate in the New Jersey Democratic State Committee. Now that we have all the introductions out the way, let's dive into the conversation. Instead of discussing the usual uh, talking points that you may hear about in the media, we are going to take a unique approach. We have divided our conversation into two sections, federal and state slash local city. At the end of our conversation, we want our listeners to understand that you should vote in all elections, just not just the presidential election. Because of the shortness of time, we won't be able to cover everything in this conversation. Let's start at the top, federal. All right, so advocacy, as you know, one of the biggest things that's gonna be on the ballot this year is federal, right? So besides talking about senators and congressmen, we're gonna kind of look at the federal court judges. Um, so, because as, as, as you know, that right now that there are 64 vacancies, there are 64 vacancies with 40 nominations. Some of them are for the Supreme Court. Um, as you know, that Supreme Court Justice Ginsburg died on September 18th from pancreatic cancer, which means that leaves a vacant seat in the Supreme Court. So before I continue, I'm gonna throw out my first question. I'm gonna go right to Yolanda. Um, and here's the question is this, if you can explain the purpose of the Supreme Court and why is it important? Sure, well, thank you both for having me and I'm Looking forward to a good conversation with my co-panelists here, Ms. Johnson. Um, 
the Supreme Court is the highest court in the land. And here's a fun fact. There's actually a basketball court on top of the court. So if anybody ever goes to the Supreme Court, they can't play basketball during the court being in session because you can hear basketball above it. But I digress. The United States Supreme Court located in Washington, DC, across the street from Cap the Capitol building is the highest court in the land. It is the, uh, it, cre it can create its own precedent. It can hear its own cases of original jurisdiction, but mo more than likely where we see it um, affect our laws is through a, a, the appeal process. When other cases come through the different circuits of the United States, uh, specifically here, we are in the third circuit and where you all are in New York, you're in the second circuit. But um, when those cases come up and there's also a court of appeals, ultimately the decisions can be heard again if the Supreme Court wishes in the highest court, which is the Supreme Court. So we hear cases of either federal jurisdiction or sometimes when these circuits are um, not com in complete agreement about a case and there needs to be a decision made on what is going to be the law of the land. No, no additional appeals can happen beyond the Supreme Court of the United States, but if there are ways to affect future change in laws, that would go through Congress and legislation. Wow, okay. So um, as I've said before that, um, as I've, I've said many times is that now we have a vacancy in the Supreme Court. And right now, um, as you can see that the GOP is kind of just rushing right now. So what they're doing is they're trying to trying to rush their nomination in. And what they've picked is um, Amy Comey Barrett, which is also Donald, Trump, Donald Trump's nomination. So with that, I'd like to ask you this question here. Um, if Amy Barrett comes to the next judge, the conservative will be the majority of the Supreme Court. Can you explain the difference between a conservative judge and a liberal judge? Okay, All right, I can do my best. So one thing I didn't add in the first answer is that the Supreme Court can only hear cases that involve the United States Constitution. So if it's a, if it's a state law case, they can hear them, but more than likely they choose to really address um, issues that touch and concern the United States Constitution or federal questions, civil rights, and those of the like. Um, conservative court versus liberal court. Uh, really, it just goes down to the individual justices' frame of reference and whether a constructionist or a textualist, basically how they read the Constitution in that particular case. So there are some people who, uh, on the conservative side, really like to strictly conform to what the Constitution says or what it doesn't say. Then mm. you have another form of thinking, which is really trying to establish that the Constitution is a living and breathing document and that although not everything is espoused in the Constitution, you can take certain direction from the Constitution to enhance it with other laws. Um, those are pretty much the two schools of thought. There's obviously thoughts in the middle of how that works, but if you look at, for example, in the Constitution, um, the right to bear arms is a constitutional provision. However, how one justice may look at that is that there is constitutional right to bear arms. Another justice may look at that and say, yes, it says that, but it also says that it's in time of war. So really it's how the individual justice 
looks at how the Constitution is affected in that decision. Okay, uh, let me ask you this follow-up question. Uh, what are your feelings? I'm gonna actually ask um, Ava on this. Uh, what is your feelings about Amy Comey Barrett? Because I know that she's a huge conservative, but she's also favored for a lot of those who are a Christian. So what does that mean for us if she gets nominated? As for like, for, I guess for, for basically just for us, like African-Americans, Latinos, all those rights there, what exactly, what's at stake if she becomes the judge? Thought you were okay. No. Um, I would think what would be at stake for African-Americans would be the voting rights. Uh, right now, the uh, court with uh, the inclusion of uh, Justice Ginsburg, Ginsburg actually uh, withdrew some of the um, provisions of the 1965 Voting Rights Act, and it just hangs by a, a, ten, a tender thread right now. And the concern is because uh, Ms. Co uh, Cooney, Comey Barrett is a uh, strict uh, constructionist in terms of the Constitution that she may come in and strike down just that one issue, which is the Voting Rights Act. But there are many other issues which uh, uh, they're, uh, they're fearful that she may come in and uh, you know, uh, set down a uh, precedent on those things and such as um, uh, the changing it so that, you know, the right to an abortion would be uh, removed. The Affordable Care Act is possibly going to be overturned. Um, and she also has other very conservative issues which uh, African-Americans may not necessarily believe in. And those are just some of the things that she could do. Wow, because I think I've heard a lot, um, a lot, they were talking about Roe versus Wade that they may overturn that, which is going to be very, very bad for those who, you know, because I guess a lot of people don't understand people don't just do abortion for no apparent reason. I mean, there's many reasons why people have abortion and just a lot of people think that's already a violation of a woman's right to choose. So, I mean, just for that, those plus the Voting Rights Act, a lot of those things are in jeopardy. So uh, my next question is, um, and either one can answer this question, is what can the Democrats do? Can they stop this from happening? Well, uh, when all is said and done, not at this time, they can hold it up. But I do not think that in the end, because of the fact that uh, the Democrats do not control the Senate, and uh, uh, Mitch McConnell is uh, hell-bent on getting this nomination ramped through because he is the Senate president and has control of the Senate right now, uh, that that is part of the issue of why there's not much the Democrats can do. They can ask them to reread her nomination word for word into the record, um, they cannot show up because apparently there are two just two uh, senators who are on the judicial committee who have the COVID-19 at this time. There are 14 Republicans and there are 12 uh, Democrats. So if there are two that are down with the COVID, it's a tie. 
Oh, so basically. So, um, right now, yes. Continue, Anthony. Oh, I'm yes. Sorry, uh, I spoke you. No, no, it's okay. So basically, that can kind of pause it, correct? For now, or so that exactly. means. Okay. Can I add, can I add sure. a little bit to that? Sure. So the first step, obviously, after the president, President Trump has nominated her for consideration, as Ms. Johnson said, there is a committee that has to review the nomination and actually conduct a hearing, right? But that committee requires quorum. And that is what I think Ms. Johnson is trying to get to. So in order to just hear the business, they need seven members. In order to transact any business, they need nine members to establish a quorum. As Ms. Johnson said, you have uh, Michael, Mike Lee, Senator Lee, and Senator Tillis have now contracted the coronavirus. They are two members of the Republican side of the Senate Judiciary Committee. But I did a little bit of research because I think this is very interesting to understand. You need seven to establish a quorum to just hold business, but then you need nine to actually conduct the business. Of those 12 members who are members of the Republican side, you have the minority members and obviously if none, none of them show up, a quorum can still be established with the Republican committee members. But I took a little closer look at this, right? So Senator Graham is the Senate, is the, is the chairman of this committee. So we already, we know his name, his name has been all over the, the internet and, and news stories. He's also up for election. Senator Tillis is also up for reelection. Then you have one, two, three, three other Republicans who are up for re-election in this committee. It is vital for them to hold committee in order to establish their own, to hold, hold a quorum, to establish their stake in the future of the government. So they have a personal interest because they are being re-elected to their seats to why, why this nomination should go through. So that's five people, but they really can't establish a quorum with just the five people. Like, like I said, you need seven, to actually conduct some business or have business and then nine to conduct it. So a hearing would require nine members. So they would have to actually convince one, two, three, about six other Republicans, including for example, Ted Cruz is on here, um, that a committee should be held. But I also took a, look, a closer look at this hmm. because I really wanted to know for purposes of us, and I think it was gonna be a good conversation, how long does the Supreme Court justice take to be confirmed, typically? So I took a look back at the last few. And today is October 5th. We have an election on November 3rd. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at less than 30 days at this point. And we know that Senator, I mean, Judge Amy Coney Barrett was uh, put up for nomination last week. Right. Justice Kavanaugh took 89 days. Mm -hmm. Gorsuch took 66 days. Kagan, who was a Barack Obama, President Obama's pick, 88 days. Sotomayor took 67 days. Justice Alito took 92 days. Chief Justice Roberts took 31 days. And Justice Breyer took 73. And Justice Ginsburg herself took 45. So we're looking on average somewhere between 60 to 80 days that it takes to do just a normal confirmation. And that is outside of the pandemic that is outside of uh of us having an election season <laughs> this is a normal process right the, the lowest was chief justice roberts who had bipartisan support at 31 days and then you have justice ginsburg at 45. so conceptually speaking how could they even get a nomination through then i took a, another look at the committee itself 
in order for them to, to conduct a hearing, on average, they require 30 days to get FBI reports, the nominee's testimony, and all the other things that require process through the committee. How is that gonna be conceivably had in the middle of not just an election, but a pandemic, right? With two of them that we know already who are committee members who have contracted coronavirus. And that is alarming to me. And I want to point that out for your listeners because it's important for us to understand processes and why processes are, look inherently unfair, but it also has the documentation on why it is. If, if in normal circumstances, no, one, no other justice would go through on a very important seat. This right. is a young justice who will have the seat for the next 50 years. We hope and pray, you know, as, as her, her, um, her life continues. But why are they rushing her? If she is right. capable, then it's a problem that you are rushing someone who is so important to the United States Constitution that we live and breathe under. So wow. I, I wanted to just add that for everybody to really think about and hone in that we have less than 30 days before the election is over. And yet we have a justice who's going to be put in, in five weeks. Five weeks. That's just crazy. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think it's just the way of how they just kind of just rushing. I'm just assuming because I'm assuming they may lose the election. So they're probably saying, all right, let me just rush this in make sure we get that conservative power so it gives democrats less power at the you know at the end of the day before the election so that was only my only reason is like all right and i mean and that's actually going against their um i guess against senator um um Ginsburg's wish was to wait until the people decide and you know something i want to say this before we move on is that what's so hypocritical about that is remember when obama wanted his pick in for Supreme Court justice. And they, at that time, turned the tables and said, no, let's wait until the people decide. Let's wait until the people decide. And those were the same people, Senator Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham, all of them were kind of were saying all the same things. It's like, all right, no, let the people decide. Now, all of a sudden, the tables have turned. And now it's like, okay, let's go ahead and what, let, let's rush this in. Let, let's just get this in before, get out of the way before November 3rd, because we don't know if we're going to win the election or not. Right. So, I mean, it's kind of like, it sounds hypocritical to me, but um, let me ask this next question. Um, and then I'll let Cassandra ask a question. Um, is that, um, actually, you know what? I'm going to hold my question off for a second. Cassandra, do you have a question you want to ask her about Supreme Court? If you a question that you want to go in. Yes. Um, this, yeah, I have a question in my mind that's not on the paper. Um, that's fine. You is, um, do you feel that it's right or wrong for the Senate to rush everything right now? Since uh, Senate, since the uh, Chief Justice nominee is being nominated do you think that right now at this time is this a good time for the senate and the congress to rush everything there's two schools of thought on that and and i i guess i want to challenge it by saying what i've heard is the reason why they're pushing uh the confirmation of justice barrett because they anticipate there's going to be a challenge to the election and that mm -hmm. under the auspices of the Supreme Court is their original jurisdiction. Uh, that's where they have original jurisdiction to handle elections. So 
if you only have four justices that are you know conceivably one way and then another four who are conceivably another way although i want to pinpoint and say to you that just because a justice is um has opined in a certain way doesn't mean that they can't change the way they think to fit a majority that not, is not necessarily within their conservative or liberal approach. And we saw that actually over the summer with Justice uh, Roberts on the LGBTQ decision on workplace discrimination. So we saw him side with the liberal justices on a, on a LGBTQ civil rights issue, although he is typically a conservative justice. So he was actually surprising the swing vote there. So I wanna just pinpoint that or put a pin in that, that just because somebody is a conservative and uh, historically doesn't mean that they can't change how they look at things. So as I was saying, the argument has always been, and I see Ms. Johnson's back, so I'm gonna hurry this up, but um, the argument has been, we need to hurry it because we have business to take care of. There may be a challenge to the elections. Well, why? Why is there going to be a challenge to the elections? If, the, 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 if you work on as senators and legislatures, legislators in your respective federal districts as well as your state and local elections to make your elections free and fair, you won't have to worry about a challenge to an election. So if you're creating the problem and then saying, oh, this is why we need nine justices, it makes no sense. And it really falls on its face. And it really is a slap in the face as Ms. Ms. Johnson was stating that uh, the dismantling of the Voting Rights Act that really would have called into question some of the actions that are happening in a lot of these states and counties around the country um, to create voter suppression, that they're now going to say that we need a Supreme Court to address because those issues might affect the federal elections, it slaps it in the face. Right. Uh, and many of those legislators who will not vote for the Voting Rights Act in that Senate are creating the same issues on why they think they need a justice in the Supreme Court of the, of the United States. And it's alarming. Mm -hmm. It makes sense rationally why they're saying they need a justice, but if you're creating the problem, mm -hmm. it's alarming in and of itself. Right, That's right. That's my answer. Well, thank and, you, thank um, you. Um, and Ms. Johnson, sorry, I guess we lost you for a couple of minutes or so. Yes, you did. Uh, I apologize. <laughs> I guess that's what happened. Hey, it's um, So now let's say if Democrats, Democrats, excuse me, regain the Senate and Miss Ava John care I'm sorry Miss Ava Comey Barrett is the nominee and she ended up becoming the Supreme Court which obviously again as I said before gives conservative the majority and the power what can the Democrats do in the next session if they regain the Senate what can they do what are their steps well there are some Democrats who believe that they should expand the seats on the court. Uh, when our founding fathers, and I say that with parentheses, um, you know, wrote the, the, uh, the Constitution, they only uh, saw that they only needed a certain number. And to expand it would certainly help in terms of the more liberal causes and that would be something that the Democrats could do, but that would also uh, mean that they would have to take over the Senate. And uh, that would be a very important uh, thing that they would have to do, but people gonna have to vote for Democrats up and down the line in order to be able to get uh, people in there who are going to be more presupposed 
to wanting to support a more liberal and expanded court. Okay, I think that's pretty much well said. Um, do you have to add anything, Yolanda, or you're okay? No. I always have. I'm, a, I'm an attorney by trade, so we always have something to add. But I think that was a great answer. No, I have nothing else to add. <laughs> okay. I think that was a great answer. Yeah. All right. So again, so we know that we all have our work cut out for that. So, all right. Um, now that we've covered elections on a federal level, now it's time for us to talk about elections on a state and local level. Many people only vote in the presidential election, which is mainly for every four years, which is a big mistake. Also, many voters fill only the top of the ballot and leave the rest of it blank. So I have three questions. The first question is, do you think that state and local elections are more important or just as important, why? That's the first question. Um, either person. Well, I'll, I'll jump in right here. Okay. Um, <laughs> I believe that uh, the state uh, is a very important elections because not they're dealing more with your day-to-day -day issues here in the state as opposed to the people in Washington. And the state uh, legislature is also responsible for selecting the people who are going to be part of the electoral college. And there are, there's no rules that say that they actually have to pick the electors for the electoral college based on the vote that went through. They could pick people that they would know and go that would go and vote for the other person. So I think that people need to be aware that if, uh, if your uh, legislature is controlled by the Democrats, it may be a more favorable outcome for the Democrats. But if it's controlled by the Republicans, that not only do they have that control of the, um, uh, the electoral college, but they also have the, the possibility with what with the census being um, completed this year, of gerrymandering districts where uh, people who would be more responsive to African-American uh, issues could be just kind of wiped off the map. Their districts could be eliminated hmm. or they could all be bunch all black people together so that they could cut down on the number of representatives that we would have. So it's very important that we also vote for those people in state legislature as well. Okay. Um, my second question is, can you explain referendums and why is it, and why is it important? It goes well, for either one of you. Yolanda, you want to take this one? So, sure. So referendums are also another, uh, they're questions. They're questions for the public to answer. And we actually have three of them on our ballot this year. And, and one uh, um, in which Ms. Johnson mentioned about the redistricting in the census. One of our public questions is, 
should we delay our redistricting schedule should the census be delayed? And people do not know that that's on our ballots this year, as well as all the other uh, US president, our congressional seats, and our local, whether it's mayoral, school board, county seats, and um, other municipal government seats. So three questions. One is legalizing marijuana, which is very important, hot topic, hot button issue. Uh, the other one, like I said, is re the redistricting schedule, whether that should be delayed if in fact the census is delayed. And we know at this point, the census has been delayed. Um, and three, the or will be delayed, right? Because that means they have to go back to the president and then the president has to send it off. So we, we can anticipate with, with certainty that there will be a delay on the congressional and the presidential side for the census. And the last one is giving uh, benefits to peacetime veterans. So those are important because they touch and concern your everyday life. As Ms. Johnson said, whether it's redistricting and finding out where you're going to vote in your next election. For example, I live in Galloway, New Jersey. I'm part of Atlanta County, but I vote myself. My municipality votes with Ocean County when it comes to my state senator. I do not vote with Atlanta County when it comes to a senator. That is alarming. That happened in the last time that we reapportioned our seats through the redistricting process. So um, other things like marijuana, that's going to touch and concern your everyday life, whether you agree with it or not. And the last one, maybe not so much, but those questions really go to the public because they are important for the public to give a one-on-one -on -one answer to the government on how they feel about a particular issue. Well, just to uh, clarify just a little bit, the uh, issue about the voting for, mar for marijuana legalization, the legislature had that in their body without the mm -hmm. public having voted on it and they could never come to a consensus on whether or not they were going to vote yes or no so they pretty much pushed it off onto the public so that let the public decide whether or not marijuana should be legalized hmm. so this was an issue uh for, you know, in previous years that was being uh, kicked around in the legislature, but they just couldn't come to any kind of consensus. So now they're putting it out there to let the public decide. Hmm. Now, I, um, I have a follow-up question. Um, I have a question. This is actually back to the referendums question. Now, actually, let me ask a ballot question because I know in New York State, we do things a little bit differently. Um, where you have to kind of fill in like the circles with the pen, with the markers. And then a lot of times when we have referendums, you have, they put them purposely on the other side. So you have to turn the ballot over. But a lot of times before they would never tell you that. So while it happens, a lot of people will kind of will walk in that feel like just do the ticket. And then they walk out without turning the paper over to referendums and a lot of times those referendum questions are like what you said are very, very important. So my question is, is that how is it in New Jersey? Is it like a paper ballot where they kind of have to mark it and then through it through a scanner or is it just electronically where it's all computer? Well, here in New Jersey for this particular election, Everyone who has voted and has been registered to vote in previous elections is receiving a ballot in the mail. I just got my ballot today, as a matter of fact. 
And on one side, it's uh, all of the candidates for various offices all the way down mm. to local level. And then they have a little note on it that says, vote on the back. On the back of the, um, the ballot are the, um, the referendum questions as well as members of the school board. Uh, normally, we would go in and vote on a machine, but because of the COVID-19 virus, uh, we are, uh, they, they're going to be limiting the number of voting places, and they're also going to be limiting the number of people who can actually vote on a machine. Pretty much, uh, from the way I understand it, you have to have a disability, and at this juncture, I could, the only disability that I could see where people would need to vote on the machine would be if they were blind. Okay. Because if you can see, there's certainly no reason why you couldn't fill out the ballot or get someone to assist you. Okay. All right. I think you've answered my question. And so I Yolanda sees it says it right there. Vote both sides. So it's important that you flip the ballot over. All right. Oh. It's interesting um, what Ms. Johnson said that her school board candidates are on the other side. Mine are on the front. So depending on what where you are, you need to pay close attention to your ballot because the ballot is not necessarily looking the same either. So thank you for that clarification. I didn't know that. Right. I don't know if they even in uh, in Ocean County, you said that's where you're voting, whether or not the ballots are exactly the same in every county because the county clerk in your county is the one who determines what the ballot is going to look like. Makes so sense. it could be that every that the 21 counties here in New Jersey, every one of them could have a different ballot. Hmm. Okay. All right, Cassandra. All right. Um, my question, I have two questions uh, for Miss Ava. The first question is, who or what influenced you to go into the field of government? And the second question is, if you could change anything in the justice system, what would you change and why? Well, what got me involved in government, and as I said, in, as my bio states, since the age of 10, uh, when I was 10, uh, this was the year before the uh, 1965 Voting Rights Act, and um, uh, it I saw people on television out in the streets protesting, and uh, that moved me to want to get involved. So I went down to my um, local congressman's office and volunteered to work with him, and that was how I got involved, and uh, I have been involved ever since because uh, you don't have any rights. If you don't get involved, then you don't have any say. And that was, I, I'm a person who has a lot to say. And <laughs> so I felt that my involvement would be important. And uh, uh, the, uh, the second part of that question was, uh, well, the thing that I would change would probably be uh, the, the, the fact that, uh, there doesn't seem to be the same uh, um, uh, system for blacks as there are for whites. I've known many of, of, of a black man who has uh, been locked up in jail and uh, you know, a non-white would go and uh, 
I mean, a white person would go and, and, and commit the same crime and they would just get, you know, a pat on the head and say, okay, don't do that next time. And uh, the, I don't think that for, say for instance, um, cocaine and crack cocaine, more African-Americans are, uh, that are addicted are addicted to crack cocaine and more uh, Caucasians are addicted to cocaine. The laws aren't even the same. To me, six of one, half a dozen of another. They're both cocaine. Why <laughs> is it that the, um, the cocaine has a different set of rules as opposed to the crack cocaine? Those kind of things I would change so that everything is equal under the law. Thank you. Um, also, I just wanted, to, as a side note, I just wanted to tell you, thank you for um, everything with, uh, with getting me involved in the democratic mm. uh, system. Like, thank you so much for that, because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have been able to volunteer and do what I do. So thank you very much. I'm willing to help anybody who's willing to get involved. Great, great. Um, I actually want to throw that last question as well to uh, Yolanda. Um, if you can change anything in the justice system, what would you change and why? I think what we've been talking about most of the day is that Voting Rights Act. It's mm. ensuring that um, the reason why the Voting Rights, right, Voting Rights Act was enacted was because you had certain places, including, for example, the Bronx in New York and Queens County were on the list of pre-clearance requirements for um, just to ensure that the Department of Justice looked at any changes to election procedures. So there were states like Alabama, Florida, Wisconsin, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and then you had some counties and some uh, very small areas that, that the Department of Justice took a look at. And what I've always said and what civil rights practitioners always say, it was a form of deterrence. It was, a, even though there weren't cases coming before the Department of Justice, any state or uh, area that was under preclearance thought twice before making a change because they knew that, that it was gonna be a hard fought battle, right? And it would cost a lot of money, maps would need to be made, things like that. Now with the dismantling of those provisions, mm -hmm. you saw overnight in 2013 when the Supreme Court ruled on the voting rights case in Shelby County versus Holder, mm -hmm. that those same states, mm -hmm. many of them, Florida, Wisconsin, Ohio, Alabama, uh, Texas, were starting to create barriers and uh, enact voter suppression laws. And those same states become battleground states in every election, every presidential election and moving forward, they will still be because the base, based on the amount of electoral votes that those states have, they will always be um, influential to any election that we have on the federal level. And so I certainly, I want to leave with what Justice, uh, Justice Ginsburg said about the decision at the time. She said, dismantling this, this law is like throwing away your umbrella when it's no longer raining outside hmm. and you're not wet. It didn't make any sense. You know that it's gonna happen again, but yet and still the Supreme Court decided that they would let Congress decide what the next 50 years to 100 years of our voting rights will look like in America. 
And since 2013, it is now seven years later, and we're on the cusp of a federal election in which voting rights is so important. We do not have protections under the Voting Rights Act. And I certainly, and, and the same law that has now been renamed uh, as the John, John Lewis Voting Rights Bill will not be looked at by the majority, majority Republican Senate that requires passage for this change in the Voting Rights Act to be reenacted. And so it's fortuitous that Justice Ginsburg is, is gone during this time, it's unfortunate, but certainly we have to understand the seriousness of the moment, the seriousness of purpose, and why we need to vote in every election because the same rights are not afforded to each and every one of us depending on where we live. And um, that's pretty much what I have to say about that. So voting rights is, is, is paramount in the future. Wow, that was powerful. And I agree with you on the Voting Rights Act a lot. I think we definitely, without that Voting Rights Act, I mean, then people can do whatever they want to do and then they can just sit there and done what they've done before. So suppress so the vote. So I think that's why it's very, very important. Right. Um, so now since we have an understanding on why state and local elections are very important and that we should be involved in all elections, as we begin to wrap up this discussion, now it's time for what are our next steps? It is very important, or I should say it's crucial that everyone is part of the election process. Sandra, got the first question. Um, if you are not registered, what can we, what can you do if, what can you do if you want to participate in the upcoming election? And when are, uh, what are the deadlines for that? For anyone, Yolanda or Ms. Um, Ava, you can answer this question. Um, I'm, I, now I feel like I'm Cassandra. I'm looking through my papers to see. I know that there's a deadline for when you could register to vote for this particular election. And uh, I'm thinking it's coming up on the 15th of October. Um, it's the 13th. It's, I knew it was a teen. <laughs> yeah, it's the 13th. And that, we're okay. here in New Jersey for those who are watching us. Most of us here. Right. Yes. Anthony. So on by the third, if you if you want to register, you can register by the thirteenth of October. If you will be eighteen prior to the November election, you can still register to vote and vote on election day. A lot Absolutely. of people are not aware of that. And if you are not incarcerated or you know someone who's no longer incarcerated, he or she is also eligible to register to vote as well and can vote in this election. So those things are very important. And you can register to vote online this year. Excellent. And uh, I just want to let you know for the state of uh, New York, um, the election deadline is on October the 9th. So, and also in New York State, you can register online or if you see someone, or you can register by phone or you can fill out the application. Um, and it's the same process as in um, New York, as in um, New Jersey. Also, ex-felons, you also do have a right to vote as well. And I also wanted to. Oh, um, 
I also wanted to put out there that um, it's good for you to double check to see if you're registered to vote and if all your information is correct. That's right. Absolutely. And Cassandra, to your first part of your question, you asked what people can do if they're not registered, not eligible for young people, um, or for whatever reason, whether they're incarcerated, um, cannot vote in this election. And it's important to encourage people to vote. A lot of people are registered, but a lot of people do not turn out once they are registered. So I've told people throughout any forum that I've done, uh, tell your brother and sister, ask someone, are you registered to vote? Because, you know, believe it or not, just like Anthony was, and I would tell you on the NAACP, not every person you, you think is an NAACP member is actually one, so you ask them to be one. And um, I always encourage everyone out there to do relational organizing. And what that means is encourage and make sure five people are registered to vote and make sure those same five people actually vote at, during the election. Okay, and even okay. if you think you are registered to vote, if you have moved, you are no longer registered to vote. You should be registered to vote in the new location. You shouldn't just rely on being able to vote in your old location because the challengers could come in and say, well, wait a minute, you don't live there. So, mm -hmm. you, you know, then you're with that. That's a vote that's lost because your information isn't up to date. Absolutely, that is also that is also true as well. Is if you if your address have changed, it's very very important that you do re-register the vote. Because a lot of people get that confused. We've had those questions come up a lot of times. I always say, if you have recently moved, you need to put your new address on there, or else you're going to have to go back to your old location. Um, so that the same thing. Also, if you're mad, you've gotten married or divorced, and your name has changed, you mm -hmm. have to re-register the vote. Exactly, exactly. That is important. And also one thing I do want to say before we go on to our next question um, is that when you do see the ballot to make sure that you answer all the questions that are there, because if you do if you do leave an important question blank, they may not accept it. So it's very, very crucial and important that, you know, even if it's social security or driver's license, I know in New York State, they ask that you either have to have a driver's license or, or social security, if you say you don't have either, then that also can make that invalid. So it's very, very important to check all the questions, even when it asks you about political party, that is also very important that you must check a party. If you don't wanna be part of a party, then you have to check no party, because if you leave that question blank as well, they also gonna say that's also invalid. So it's very important that you go from the top all the way down to the bottom and you answer all the questions that are necessary. Is that in New York? That's Anthony? in New York, yes. Okay, because in New Jersey, you can come in on primary day. If you're listed as unaffiliated, you can come in and say, I want to register as a Democrat. And mm -hmm. right then and there, you become a Democrat and oh. you're able to vote as, as a Democrat or you're able to vote as a Republican, whichever party you pick. Right, exactly. So that's a little different thing about New York. Um, so um, let me get to our next question. Now, this is a very, very important question um, because as you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So things are a lot different. So what are some of those options that a person can vote if they just don't feel comfortable enough to go to the, uh, to the poll? 
Well, they can put it in the mail. Uh, that's what they would like for everybody to do is to put your ballot in the, in the United States Postal Mail. And at least three days before the election, because if you wait until election day, it has to be in their possession by the election day, else it's not gonna be counted. There are drop boxes throughout the county and throughout the state. I'm not exactly sure where they're all located. I know where I live, it is outside of the public library here in Neptune. Other, uh, and it's not in every town. There are only, I believe there are only like 20 towns throughout all of, of my county that have the drop boxes. But if you go to any drop box, you can put your ballot into a drop box. And then of course, if you fill out the, uh, the ballot, you can bring it into one of the voting places on election day and hand it to one of the poll workers. Hmm. I wouldn't recommend that because sometimes paperwork gets lost. In, and so if you're gonna be um, going in to vote, you can vote uh, by provisional ballot in the voting place instead of carrying your handwritten ballot that you received in the mail in there and giving it to them. If there's, if there's a stamp already on the envelope, all you have to do is complete it and put it in the US post office, put it in the Dropbox. Again, you can also take it to the polling place, but I don't recommend that. Okay. So 100% agree with Ms. Johnson. I, my personal recommend, recommendation is that people utilize those drop boxes that are set there by your superintendent of elections. Um, because they have 24 hour surveillance on them and, and they are secure. So you don't want a situation to happen with a postal service mix up. Um, I know I, we have been working here and where I am, we work very closely with our postal service, but those drop boxes are created for a safe and secure and they get picked up almost every day, I believe it. Every day, if not every other day. So that is the most secure way to get your information straight to the division of elections to be counted. And as Ms. Johnson said, um, you can vote with your ballot on election day and make, making sure that if you do put it in the United States mail that it's postmarked on election day, no later than 8 p.m. to be counted. And we're just gonna go right into our rapid fire round. So um, this is gonna be like a 60 second pitch. So right now for all those who are listening or who's going to be listening once we finish recording, um, because there's going to be people that are still undecided. They're not sure. They actually are not favoring any of the candidates. Um, I've actually got people saying, well, they're not talking about the Black agenda, so I'm not interested. Um, so exactly in one minute, 60 seconds, we're going to start off with Ms. Johnson. Um, and that question is, what advice do you have for a voter who isn't feeling any of the candidates? Well, I would suggest that they get educated on the issues. They can go to their local uh, organizations and speak with people there and find out about the issues. They can go to the campaign headquarters of the candidates and see where they stand on issues which may be of importance to them. I know people say, well, I'm not feeling that candidate but there's got to be some issue that would make 
a difference to you, be it the environment, be it social justice, be it social security, be it um, uh, Medicare. It's got to be something that is of an issue to you. Then you need to make a plan. What is your plan going to be? Are you When you get that ballot, are you going to put it back in the U.S. post office? You're going to put it in the Dropbox? You're going to take it over to the polling place? What is your plan going to be? And uh, because everybody should be voting because the future of the country and the fate, your life and your fate is now going to be relying on this particular vote in this particular year. All right. Uh, Ms. Yolanda, 60 sure. seconds. So six seconds, okay. Um, not voting is pretty much like going to a restaurant and not ordering anything. Eventually the waiter's gonna ignore you because they're not getting a tip out of you and they're not getting any service from you. So I, I, the same thing applies with voting. If you're not voting and you haven't built a coalition of voters, then your legislature is not going to listen to you. Your elected official is just not going to listen to the issue. So if you have a particular agenda that you're trying to advance, my suggestion to you is to advance that through coalition building of concerned voters on particular issues. If that, if that uh, candidate does not at this moment concern the issues or uh, relate to the issues that you believe in, take a look at the issues that they do believe in as Ms. Johnson said, but certainly you have to push your elected officials into demonstrating that what matters to you should matter to them. So coalesce and coalition build, but do not forget to vote because a vote, an un someone who doesn't vote is more likely to be ignored. First of all, I'd like to say thank you. This has been an amazing conversation. I'd like to say thank you to Miss um, Ava Johnson. I'd like to also say thank you to Miss um, Yolanda Melville, Melville, excuse me, um, for just being part of this conversation. Um, and I'd also like to thank Miss Cassandra as well as my co-hosts. Um, and I'd also like to thank you, the audience, for joining us today. Um, we hope that you were inspired. We hope that you were motivated. And we also want you to go to the polls on November 3rd. We want you to tell your family, your friends, um, co-workers, colleagues to do the same thing. Again, if you're not registered, please go and register. I know that each state has different deadlines. Um, as they said, in New Jersey, it's October 13th. Um, in New York, it's October 9th. I know that each state varies. So it's important that you go to your state board of elections, or you can also go to IWillVote.org to sign up. Again, we do need to, everyone to be lockstep in this never ending battle, or else we will lose everything that we and our ancestors have worked so hard for in this nation. If you have any comments, suggestions, or recommendations on this episode or future episodes, our email is listed below. Um, before, uh, Ms. Melville, do you have any contact information that you want to give? Sure. So all of my social media handles are um, Millennial Law AC um, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And my email address is YN. M-E-L-V at gmail.com. Please reach out if you have any questions. Um, Ms. Johnson? Um, if you would like to reach me, you can reach out to 
the Monmouth County Democrats. Um, they're on at uh, 106 uh, Apple Street in Tinton Falls, New Jersey. Or you can reach me at my email address, which is Ava S like Sam Johnson 1002 at gmail.com. All right. So again, we will list all that information at the bottom of the screen um, so you can stay in contact. Um, again, we like to say thank you, be safe out there, and we'll see you next time. Oh, mm -hmm.